Hi guys, thank you for tuning into Beyond the Bullpen. This show is created for the analyst community, talking about the analyst culture, their research methodology, investment rationales, research tips, and financial trivia. Basically, everything that happens outside their bullpen. I'm your host Sanjot, bringing you analysts across the globe from various sectors and backgrounds to share their perspective on what drives the market and, most importantly, what drives them to beat the market. With that being said, thank you for listening. Make sure you switch on the notification bell and follow us to stay updated on the analysts that will be coming on as guests across various sectors on a weekly basis. Hey guys, welcome back to another uh, Beyond the Bullpen episode. Today I have uh, Aditi Agarwal with me, who's also a very close friend of mine, and uh, she was tracking the Alco Bev sector very closely. And uh, today we'll be discussing, you know, uh, questions, some questions, answers, which will add value to you. So before I go ahead, I would like to ask Aditi to introduce herself and, you know, tell us something about herself. Sorry. Hi, Sanju. Thank you so much for having me here. So yes, Sanju is a really good friend and we have been working, we had been working along together at Valorem. So at Valorem, I was tracking the Alcobev and the biofuel sector. And apart from that, I do have another two years of work experience as a research analyst in different fields like M&A and private equity. So, uh, yeah, I think that's all about me. Okay. So what exactly in M&A and private equity, if you want to elaborate on that? Uh, so, yes, I did not have a particular region, but I was trying to focus a lot on the North American transactions. So, you know, you have a lot of transactions that happen you know, throughout the globe on a daily basis. So mm-hmm. I was more of analyzing those transactions as to, you know, what is the rationale or what could be the deal origination or, you know, anything related to that deal. I was keeping a track of that. So how did that, you know, probably excite you or like, was that, was that exciting enough or like, did that, you know, increase your interest in the field of finance? So how was that journey? Definitely. I Definitely. I think that, uh, you know, M&A and private equity is something, according to me, what is the future, very specifically private equity. And uh, in a country like India, it's very difficult to get directly into investment banking or private equity. So it's always better to get a holistic approach of things before you enter the field. And as far as I'm concerned, M&A is something which which really excites me. I mean, you know, uh, it, it is very exciting. So yes, I think that would be it. Okay. Um, so considering, you know, you had your journey of, you know, entire work experience and all of that. So I just wanted to understand, like, what are the practices that you may have followed or you may have taken up, um, you know, that have led you to become a better analyst? Because uh, as far as I know, like you're one of the, uh, one of the very uh, good analysts, which I know that, you know, who can pick up, you know, uh, valuations, you know, uh, quickly. And also probably there are a lot of factors which are combined. There's mm-hmm. interest, there's foundation, which is involved. And, and also overall experience. So, you know, combination of three, four factors here. So, you know, with that being said, you have like a wholesome perspective when it comes to valuations and all of that. So what is the, so coming to that question is like, how is, how have your practices been versus when you started versus now, like, do you see any changes, uh, you know, between then and now? Yes. Uh, so definitely, you know, like uh, when you enter the field as a financial analyst, so you have this entire myth going around finance that it's a very boring subject. It gets very monotonous after a time, uh, in a span of time. But what I would suggest is when you are entering the field of finance, especially as an analyst, you should not, you should never actually think that, you know, you, you are confined to something. Because trust me, the more I am working as a financial analyst, the more I'm realizing that it's a very creative field. 
I mean, you know, it's all about analyzing, right? So you take the qualitative data, you take the quantitative data, you just make sense, you know, you just try to make sense of things. And the more you get creative, the more you try to uh, come up with new things. Because the person who is actually valuing a company, could you you know help me with an example or something like what could you what is the creative aspect here if you have any example? Definitely. Uh, so uh, you know if it comes to both you and me, uh, say we are supposed to value a company. So uh, every company valuation needs a kind of forecasting, right? So you know like a five-year forecast, a ten-year forecast. So the way you are going to forecast a company, uh, the revenues, and the way I would do it is completely different. Now, as a normal analyst, people would think that, you know, he's just done it. So my answer is, it shouldn't be more than like 5.5, 0.6 difference. But that is your perspective. When it comes to me, maybe I have a completely different view on the industry because the industry makes a lot of difference. So it actually depends upon what is your perspective towards things. And you shouldn't, you know, I will only say that you should never be confined to something. You should always explore opportunities in your field itself. You know, just be creative with it, and you will be a better person in the field. So, do you think that you know, usually, you know, during exams, at least in school, you know, let's go a little bit to the basics. Um, you know, during school, we are said that, "Achai, this is what this is the answer you have to get. This is correct answer, right?" Or broadly, this is the range of answer you should be getting. This is the correct. Right. So, like, does this apply to finance? If not, could you elaborate on that? Uh, you know, it does not completely apply to the uh, field of finance. uh i mean yes definitely there are some barriers there are some ways what you cannot go completely out of the way to do something new but you have a lot of play area within the restrictions that you have so you know uh, like for valuation for example it's never one answer it's always a range and you are supposed to try to figure out as to what is the different what are the different things what i can do that you know i can get a zero plus i can get a 100 i mean you you are supposed to explore it on your own and when it comes to a theory yes in finance theory is equally important because you know let's be honest it involves money and it's not just your and my money it's the money of hundreds and thousands of people so you are answerable to those guys so it's better that you try to stay in the purview of what is given to you but you also try to experiment a little bit over here and there so that you can come up with better outcomes i just want to sidetrack just a little bit because of couple of pointers which mm -hmm. you said their people's money and all of that you know just got me interested is like what do you think like should drive an analyst is it like the returns is it beating the index or is it caring for people's money like what is the tick because everyone has a different tick that's completely okay right. but fundamentally what do you think should be driving an analyst uh, I, i think it actually depends on your client i mean if someone has a very high risk potential so you might as well you know explain the person what no, a cryptocurrency is still level in terms of becoming a better analyst not in terms of you know your performance so uh, i would say that definitely the first thing would you have to consider is the need of other people before yours okay. i mean you should never go out of the way uh, for a client or you know if he doesn't want something so i would say that always you should keep the need of your client before yourself and you you know you can make him suggestions as to you know i mean uh, you know you are investing this much so let me tell you what this thing does but you shouldn't not inform it and already do it and then later on tell him oh you know what this was a good opportunity so i invested on your behalf that is something wrong so for me it would always be keeping your clients before you know your own personal vendetta right 
so you know i believe you were mentioning something that you know you were handling a couple of you know even i introduced you that you know you were handling um, mm-hmm. alcobev sectors so how right. have the recent trends been if you know like it was just recently that you know you were working on it so how has the recent trends right. been and how do you see it shifting you know in the medium to long term uh, so interestingly i got a very good chance to study the sector when there was covid so i was able to analyze the prior to covid uh, era and during covid and now that covid is i'm hoping slightly going away so you know uh, that era so i think that yes alcohol i think uh, cigarettes and alcohol are the two stocks that are always to stay because uh, you know like a depression or you're making money or anything people are going to drink people are going to smoke people are sad they're going to drink more <laughs> uh, so i personally think that the, uh, if i have to don't you think so it goes against the esg rationale which people are like okay you know def- uh, weaponizing and you know weapon stocks or this stocks is going against so so what are your comments about that like i don't uh, see I, i think that that's not completely wrong but uh, firstly speaking for alcobev companies they're doing a lot other than making alcohol as well i mean they have ethanol they have ena and which is used for pains and which is used as a biofuel sorry so like could you like elaborate on that like in terms of the other applications of alcohol? yeah definitely definitely so you know if you go to see for the alcobev segment your raw material is ethanol and ena okay so th- those same things have a lot of other use they are used for paints and they are used as raw material for alcohol itself ethanol is an entirely different new story with your entire blending percent and it's acting as a biofuel so yes i mean uh, i completely agree to your esg point where you know these companies are not very specifically following those guidelines but at the same time these are the same companies that are giving you other by products so uh, i would always suggest that alcobev is always a good segment considering uh, two factors i mean people are always going to drink alcohol and even if you say that people are you know moving towards a healthier lifestyle but still i mean uh, you can't predict the markets when it comes to alcobev i think it's been over 50 to 60 years what people are consuming alcohol and i've never seen penetration would increase is it because despite people's having like going towards healthier lives but the market penetration would be increasing you're saying with alcohol definitely definitely i mean apart from that we are uh, not seeing the biggest point is people are moving very very fast towards westernization mm-hmm. and you know until 5 years back you had this entire fiasco about women drinking alcohol but now you've actually doubled your market size if if not doubled at least 1.5 times because now nobody even considers and it's no longer a taboo where you know uh, it was considered a bad thing it's very common at social gatherings so even though people are moving towards a healthier lifestyle your demand is always going to increase for the alcohol for alcohol at least so in terms of overall you know there are so many sectors you know i like asking mm-hmm. this to my fellow buddies who are and this like any particular sectors that going ahead you know in the medium to long term you're seeing either expanding a lot mm-hmm. post covid or not just post covid but in the macro in the macro scenario like expanding a lot um, yeah go ahead okay on. yeah so i think that uh, like i mentioned about the biofuel segment your ethanol story i think the sugar segment and the entire biofuel segment that that has a very very great opportunity in india considering the entire blending percent rate and you know 2030 target and now it's 2025 2024 so i think uh, 
that is one segment which has a very great potential and apart from that the second segment i would say is always your technology segment because uh, you know with the advent of fintech and with your newer uh, ai is coming in i think uh, that is something what you should really have a look at right so basically those listed companies who are going towards ai and stuff definitely yes something like you know even uh, something that is supporting blockchain or even fintech okay okay so but this but the, then it comes to like if you are talking about blockchain fintech let's say you're going towards fintech then you're coming towards micro lending and all of that right no not necessarily fintech i would uh, you know something like uh, a paytm yes i'm saying but listed players predominantly are in the you know micro lending space right mm-hmm. if i'm not wrong definitely yes right so but you know going ahead also do you think is that any sector which will not contract but like gross gross lower than uh, the other sectors do you have any perspective on the same uh not uh, particularly because i think that uh, nifty and sensex is literally touching new heights every day so not at the moment but uh, no i don't think there's any particular sector like i would like to name which is going to face a downfall at least because i would have said auto but uh, not very keen towards that i actually think auto and also you know your um, oil and gas is something we'll start seeing mm-hmm. some pushback no, not pushback per okay. se but not even contraction but in terms of you know just seeing a slower growth um okay because you know a lot of these companies even auto companies what's happening is they're pushing towards the rental model um right something your, like an ola or uber yes even car manufacturer right. saying that you can you know replenish a new car within 6 months or 8 months or 10 months you can mm-hmm. just rent it out for 80000 bucks and you know um and you can replenish it with a newer model so but i think that you know that would uh, not be uh, implied when you have uh, electronic cars i mean you do have some news around tesla entering india and i mean you know once something funds you have electric cars there's going to be a buzz around for minimum 3 to 4 years where people where the company that starts something like an electric vehicle is going to face a complete boom after that is something what you need to actually take care of because you don't know what's going to happen after that but uh, yeah i think auto definitely you do have a chance of the sector being stagnant if not slower mm-hmm. but uh, if you have the entry of an electric vehicle then it might change things okay so what do you think like about you know considering you know us you know you also look at the us market you have started looking at the us market um so do you think india will see like a you know fang going ahead, going ahead like a fang kind of a segment where you know these are the couple of tech stocks that you know uh, we are where, where india is like going towards I see I think Fang is very focused towards technology. Yes. So uh, I would not say that India would have its own have its own Fang, but I do think that the FMCG sector is uh, you know probably doing really well if you have to compare it to them. So you're saying FMCG could be like a Fang a uh, segment. Yes. Of- you you can say because i think uh, the fmcg sector in india is something what will always boom okay it, it's very directly related to your population growth mm. and i think that in a country like india fmcg is uh, something what will always see growth so maybe it's a technology for us but for india it, it, i think it's always fmcg 
I mean, I, I guess I resonate with that. And the reason why is because mm-hmm. every country have different kind of economies and not every economy can be replicated in the same way. Um, you know, for US, the biggest growth driver, because it's a developed economy, it's, it's completely rational for FANG to be there. Uh, but for India, it's more towards, you know, still a developing economy and uh, right. relevant for FMCG or, you know, your Maricos, your ITCs to be still there going ahead. Right. But you will, but I think, I think you know, if I have to give you an example, I was tracking HUL in the year 2017, when I, uh, 16, yeah, 17. And the share price was 836 or, or something of that sort. And today I'm, I think the share price is like crossed around 2000 bucks. So, you know, uh, personally, according to me, uh, that, that is something what I will always look for. And that's why I would always say that, you know, maybe uh, US has their FANG, but we have FMCG and that will always be a good growth potential for us. You know, coming towards, you know, a couple of questions towards the end, like, you know, how would you guide like fresh analysts who are starting out in this industry? Mm-hmm. Who are We are not talking about companies here, not how to value companies, but like just, you know, look at a new sector overall. How do you start reading about a new sector? Because sometimes what happens is there's a lot of information on a company, how to value a company. In fact, there are books as well. But sometimes the huge drawback of studying a sector, I feel, is that you know where the sector is. There are news articles about where the sector is going towards. But the historical data is also important. But there's not always access to historical data sometimes. So how do you overall get into a new sector, understanding the new sector, and and, and then place the company that you're looking at? See, I think that uh, very firstly, no sector is an independent sector. I mean, every sector is going to be related to something or the other. So if you want to start starting a new sector, you know, if you're doing something from the very scratch, you can go for something slightly easier. But if you are already studying a sector, like, you know, in my example, if you're already studying something like the alcohol sector, so the next sector, what I would be taking would be the sugar one. So like, you know, I will be able to uh, draw some comparisons between both the sectors. I will be able to understand what is happening better. And at the same time, one very important thing, what at least I have learned is when you want to study a sector, make sure that you study five companies in the sector. Take the top five companies, try to see what have been the trends in those five particular companies. And, you know, then you at least get a hang of, okay, you know, 2013, this had happened and that is why all of my companies have reacted in this way. Mm. So that is, so I think personally, you would always want to target four to five companies, have uh, in-depth research of those companies, and then you know what is happening in those sectors because, you know, same thing is happening in all the five companies. So you know, why, why is it happening? So are you saying like a top-down analysis or bottom-up analysis? Like this or this? I would always go top-down. I uh, Sorry, bottom-up bottom up i would yeah i would study the companies and then i would go to the industry a lot of people have said you know bottom up you know um, that's that's a very interesting takeaway uh, you know you know i have a couple of you know one or two bonus questions um, you know how mm-hmm. important do you feel you know a cfa you know is uh, towards you know valuing a company because you know there's a lot of these books uh, of uh, common sense investing so a lot of this mm-hmm. you know um, there are a lot of these books on peter lynch one buffet and all of that Right. CFA is completely different ball game in terms of education, right? So right. how do you see like where's where's the benefit? Like you know because anyways a person says that 
चलो लॉजिकल इन्वेस्टर uh you you should keep that confined to yourself or your family money because you know i mean it's it's actual money it's not right monopoly or something right right so yeah you know to conclude with this you know interesting question that i have you know um since you said you're you know very high on private equity and vcs and all that you know this is something um i feel uh, um this is something which which i'm thinking about of late a lot of vcs mm-hmm. they are looking for exit strategies or pe's are looking for exit strategies mm-hmm. and the exit strategies are usually ipos right right they list the company they exit so do you see it's like a huge party and this party is about to like pop uh, where you know vcs are getting the exits but you know at the end of the day retail investors or any insti investor or whichever sell side buy side whichever investor retail invest- investors in the long term won't generate value out of it in if like vc start exiting from these companies once they get listed uh i think that uh, nowadays ipos have become a fad everyone and anyone wants to come out with an ipo and people are just buying ipos because you know i think two years back everyone was making money and now people think that ipo is easy money so uh, it's because of this retail behavior uh you can expect that you know maybe it's a bubble which which might not burst immediately but sometime in the future when you know i just hope that something like vworks does not happen where you know you have a very big valuation and there's nothing just because they wanted to raise money and then they wanted an exit so i'm just hoping that something that big does not happen here in india but yet again i think it's all because of the retail behavior that there is a good chance that you might have a vc bubble that might burst because not uh, immediately probably a lot of time uh, like a long later i think maybe my like like i concur like to what you have to say but also at the same time what starts mattering is how for for we work it was the matter of like pricing market pricing and penetration rate definitely that was the huge issue uh, but with india mm-hmm. is like the tech startups which are in india and and we work was although they were trying to pose it as a tech company but when you have companies yeah. like zomato ola these are like proper mm-hmm. tech companies and and i feel that the market penetration for them is high although the you know justification of valuation is too high but but still i feel that you know at the end of the day they would uh, drive some value 
um yeah but this is just um having said that you know um uh, there is a surprise uh, you know set of questions in terms of 10 short questions i want you to answer them the first word uh, or the first option which comes into your head all right okay we're going to be they're going to be so so you don't get you don't get to think that's the entire thing okay right so there's no right or wrong answer is just like a segment right okay so the first question is roe or roce roce um pe or pb pe sorry pe or pb 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 Okay. Uh, EBITDA or operating cash flow? Always EBITDA. Okay. Uh, accumulated depreciation or straight line depreciation? Accumulated depreciation. CFA or FRM? CFA. <laughs> ROI or asset turnover? Asset turnover. EV by EBITDA or ROIC? Uh, EV by EBITDA. State wise subsidies or single GST rollout? State wise subsidies. Rakesh Junjunwala or Warren Buffett? Warren Buffett. All right. Um. So. Uh. And last question is the better financial hub: U.S., Germany, or Singapore? Singapore. Right. So yeah, I guess you answered them well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh. Thank you, Aditi. Uh. It was really insightful to hear your side of you know story and your side of perspective. It's always uh. What I figured is you know via you know having this kind of com uh, you know conversation, not just you know for um. you know the individual analyst to speak his own mind but it's also it kind it's kind of shares knowledge about you know fresh new perspectives um right. so so i'm glad that you know we had this conversation and and uh, it was it was actually great speaking to you i was waiting for this <laughs> yeah i mean we have shared you know ideas and we have always talked about things mm -hmm. of you know how companies are looked upon but there was no like uh, right you know in um an intellectual discussion of like with a proper format and everything so that was no, it was it was great being here thank you so much all right, all right. thanks aditi um wish you all the best thank you all right thanks guys thanks for watching and thanks for listening to us i'll see you in the next one bye bye